0: I'm Kate Bowler, and this is Everything Happens. I'm a historian, author, aggressively fast walker, but lately in a world that promises endless progress, even now in a pandemic, I've realized I just need to be a person. It's hard to give up on the feeling that the life you want is just out of reach. If only you tried. Eat this food, find that relationship, Just get the kids graduated, or the parents this kind of care. Only then will I feel different, better, whole. But that's not the way this works. When I was 35, I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And here's the very fun thing about that. The world loves you better when you are shiny, when you are cheerful, when you still believe that your best life now is right around the corner. I've written multiple books on the history of the idea that you can always fix your life, so I'm going to be the one to say it. There are some things we can change, and some things we can't. And it's okay that life isn't always getting better. We can have beauty and meaning, community and love, and we will need each other if we're going to tell the truth. Life is a chronic condition, and there's no cure for being human. I thought things would be different by now, didn't you? But here we are, a year into the pandemic, a year into losses that are too many to count. There is no pretending now. There's no glass wall between us and them, the unlucky, the can't-get-it-togethers. We are stuck as we are, fragile, imperfect, and caught in a web of things we didn't choose. Like these four walls, like my decision to paint them for a screen in the early 2000s. We're here, trying to face the world as it is. So how's that for welcome back? But welcome back. Thank you for being with me as we launch another season. A brand new set of guests with gentle wisdom and zero essential oils to sell. Together, we will have no easy formulas. So, let's be human together. In the spirit of Valentine's Day, today's episode is all about love. The loves that constitute us, the loves that break our hearts, the loves that keep us going. My guest is someone you probably know. Her career in the entertainment industry started in a hilarious way when her little brother submitted her for the Miss India pageant without her knowing only because he wanted his room back and figured this would fast-track the process. And that it did. So here's to little brothers everywhere and the love of family and of place and of community that holds us up and holds us together when we lose our way. Our guest today is an award winning actress and producer and humanitarian and entrepreneur and recipient of the Kate Buller Prize awarded in the category of Most Beautiful Eyes. She is one of the most recognizable people on the planet Priyanka Chopra Jonas. You may have gotten to know her as Alex Parrish from ABC's Quantico or as Pinky in her new Netflix movie, The White Tiger. Please see it, it is stunning. Priyanka has appeared in over 60 films in her home country of India and in the U.S. And also she's a gorgeous singer and no big deal. Now also a writer. Her memoir, Unfinished, tells the story of her journey. And it is a delight. Priyanka, it is so lovely to meet
1: you. Oh, my gosh, Kate, you made me sound cool to myself, too. (laughs) You are amazing. (laughs) You were born in eastern
0: India, but you moved all over the country as a child. For people who might not know about the incredible geography and internal diversity of India, would you mind giving me a sense of the different kinds
1: of places you lived and fell in love with? Oh my gosh, that's like asking for a needle in a haystack. India <laughs> is an experience, you know. Whenever my friends travel to India, I always try to prepare them for it because it's not a vacation. It's mm-hmm. it's can it can turn into anything you want it to be. India is a country that is diverse, more diverse than anything you've ever seen. Every state you go into has a different spoken and written language, um, not a dialect, but like alphabet and like a language, different clothes, different, you know, holidays, different um, foods. So it's almost like multiple countries in one. Mm-hmm. And because of our colonized colonized history, um, you know, we have a, an extreme sort of Western influence, but at the same time are extremely traditional mm-hmm. because of the ancient history that India is adorned with. I mean, it's tens and thousands of years old. So you have that pull of tradition and you have modernity because of being influenced by so many different cultures from around the world, you know, um, that have invaded and colonized the country. So it's diverse, like you won't believe it. It's a confluence of, you know, an assault on every sense in the most beautiful way, whether, you know, you kind of have to go in and free fall and dive. I have a love affair with India and I, I love the country, not just because it's mine, but I, I've spent so much of my time getting to know it. And I feel like I haven't even scratched beneath the surface.
0: Mm. The love you have of place, the love of being from there and the roots is just permeates this book. One of the great loves of your life is obviously your family, I, uh, I had the privilege of growing up in a part of Canada with a very large Indian immigrant community. So I have like a little glimpse of the kind of extended family that you grew up with. You have a much more expansive definition of family than many people who grew up with in America, don't you?
1: Definitely. And I think a lot of countries depend on the extended family network rather than you know, being sort of singular within your singular network. I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I had in my life if my mom's siblings hadn't taken me in or, if you know, my grandparents hadn't raised me. My mom wouldn't have had the opportunities that she had. And, um, you know, I just think that even for my family, with my cousins who lived with us, et cetera. There's something so amazing about knowing you have a family network that, ex- for me at least, exists around the world. Someone to always call on and it's not weird, you know. You always have somewhere to go and being like, you know, I'm coming over for dinner and I'm staying, staying for the weekend. <laughs> in, in my family, it's more like a year or so. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Two years later.
0: <laughs> yeah, I loved that. I loved the feeling... The feeling of the gifts of interdependence, you know, that if we can move away from this model of like rugged, exhausting independence, there are seasons of our life where we just can't be self-made. We need to like sink back into the people who can love us and help reconstitute us. But the
1: way I, I think about it sometimes is like, why do they have to be mutually exclusive? Mm -hmm. why do we feel a sense of self if every part of us is self-made is it pride I mean that's what I question to me my career is self-made but the human that I am the person that I am I would have never been that person if it wasn't for the people that affected it you know and everything is connected I think it's important to give up control sometimes to truly be independent to truly Not be running after something which has been, you know, set by society or someone else. What is your true independence? And that comes from being able to love fully. Mm -hmm. That comes from being able to give your body, your heart, your mind what it requires, not what people think it should be.
0: You know, I was struck by the number of times in your life where you, where you ventured out, where you did something brave. And there were seasons of kind of exposure, like being the bulldozer who goes out and makes her own path. And then, and then times where, I don't know, maybe you needed to be carried by others or helped along the way. I, uh, the feeling of always being a, A group project is something I think I have started to embrace a little bit more now that I'm a little more fragile than I used
1: to be. I do think that it's okay to understand that no human is an island. Mm. But if we can share happiness, it's sharing sorrow that is most crucial. I truly believe that, you know, we're always going to be around for people in good times. But if you can be around people in tough times. Yeah. I think that's that's very important. And that's, it works the other way as well. We're so willing to receive at good times. We have to be willing to receive at bad times because only when you receive can you sort of hold yourself up and feel like you're not alone. And that is such a powerful thing.
0: It sounds like one of the strongest role models or maybe shapers in your life of that kind of beautiful, radical dependence and interdependence and good times and bad came from your parents. Your parents have quite the love
1: story. Your your dad faked an illness in order to get your mom's attention. Am I right? Well, this is what I've heard. So, you know, it's not the horse's mouth, but this is what we grew up with that She was um, a female doctor, actually, at this hospital in Bareilly. And my dad was in the military, also posted there. And he saw her at a party. Next, they wanted to find out, you know, how he could see her again, figured out she was a friend's friend and worked at this hospital, landed up there. And the quickest way to see her, I guess, was saying that, you know, he needed to see this and this doctor and made up an excuse to be a tummy ache or something. And she knew he was lying, too, but went along with it. And he had a miraculous recovery. And after out of <laughs> <laughs> he kind of make cute of a movie. So. No,
0: totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's Meg Ryan there for sure. Yeah. Tom Hanks is absolutely <laughs> making making this plot work. Yeah. And I love that they were both doctors in the Indian Army, both very committed to each other, each other's careers, and also their patients, a love of others that they obviously passed on to you. You wrote that doctoring is sacred work.
1: What did you mean by that? It's not every day that you get to hold a human brain or a human heart or bring life into the world or someone has an accident. Yeah, yeah they are not in control of their physical being. Like I really believe even when my father was diagnosed with cancer and he survived eight years, Mm -hmm. it could not have happened without his guardian angels on earth, which were his doctors and his, you know, nurses who took care of him. Your love for your dad uh, just is, is,
0: is all over these pages. It, It sounds too like there was I mean, some really awful stages in just trying to, when he was first diagnosed, get him the care he needed right away.
1: It was really troubling because, you know, it was in the liver and they had a really clean surgery. But during surgery, you know, something was nicked inside and that created an infection. And Mm -hmm. that was was just, he was six months in the ICU. He was, you know emergency flown to the U S at that point, wow. you know, it's just, he had an insane journey. He got out of it, lived five years of his life, built his new business, graduated and, you know, lived with such a zest for life.
0: Yeah. And so in love, just so in love with his family and his kids. I always think love is in the details and like you give the best details the one where he said he loved music and so he loved to play the table like what was it someone said he played a mean table
1: he used to, he used to just start in the middle of a party and you know people were like yeah it's like sing and he'd just pull up a table and start like <laughs> drumming it and then the room would be singing and everybody thought they were a singer it was crazy. oh my gosh that is so classic
0: I uh I'm always very struck when people um You know, you describe him when when we went to remission, just roaring back to life. And I always love to hear about how people live in that after, you know, maybe having been so close to death. Some people find that they have like a new appetite to live. And It sounds like that was really your dad. He wasn't going to let anything slip by him.
1: Totally. I mean, while he was working, um, you know, he put my career in front of him and in front of my mom's. My parents put my career before them because my life suddenly brought me to Mumbai, and they live in, you know, Bareilly. So it's almost like if you live in the Midwest and you suddenly your seventeen year old has a, you know, massive career in LA. My parents were like, "Okay, I think we need to think about relocating because she's really young and this is a crazy industry to navigate. So family support is a um, is a given in India. It's not you don't your kids not going to go out at 18 without that support. Of knowing that you know you have your parents to come back home to till you're settled, that's just a given with Indian culture. Mm. You know, my parents they just started their own practice, and they shut that down, moved to Mumbai, started all over again. Dad started an administrative job. He gave up surgery, you know, because that would help settle the family. And so by the time he you know went into remission, you know, came out of it, he came out of it with like full zest because you know he had given up so much and by then I was at a place in my career which was a little bit more stable so he took music on again he stopped administration picked up the scalpel again in fact went to Columbia and got a degree in um, cosmetology and came back and started a cosmetic (laughs) spinning all of this in like five years You know, it was, he just started doing the things he loved. He recorded an album, which he couldn't finish. What? (laughs) That's amazing. But he went in, you know. Went all in. I love that. It was so inspiring to me.
0: There's something really beautiful about being way up close to someone
1: who is determined
0: to live full throttle. Absolutely.
1: I mean, it really gave me a sense of gratitude um mm-hmm. to understand that life is a gift we take it for granted so much every day because we get stuck in the mundane and the minutiae and the everyday stresses and the pride and the ego and the drama you know But i think i truly believe is that everyone has their own amount of time to be on the earth yeah. the one thing we all know is we're going to be born and we're going to die it's going to happen to all of us and when I was sort of dealing with dad's illness, I came to terms with the fact that, you know, everyone has their own journey and I think the purpose of our life is to live it with a pursuit towards happiness and joy and I saw him do that when he came out of it and it really became an example of how I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. So within the crazy pressure of my public life and the stakes and all the things, I think How my dad dealt with his illness, how brave he was in the face of it and how much of life he devoured while he was ill, like shaped me for devouring and doing so many things and not stopping because of fears and insecurities and, you know, even illness.
0: There's radical permission
1: there. Yeah.
0: It sounds too like in the last two years of his life that he worked so hard to be undiminished as his illness came back as stage four. sounds like, you know, to the very end, he was so determined to be invincible and loving and present. I, uh, if if you don't mind telling me about that really beautiful moment you had at the Times of India Film Award, I thought that was really,
1: really touching. The last one year was really tough um, on him, of course, but on all of us as well, to watch, you know, mountain of a man sort of diminish. Yeah. And, but I think he protected me and my brother more than, me specifically, more than um, I think his friends or his brothers were with him, I have to say, for a very long duration. His elder brother and his younger brother stayed with my dad for months mm-hmm. on end in the hospital, telling him stories, taking care of him family was in full support but just watching the deterioration and him giving up I could see it I know my dad I could see it even though whenever I used to walk in the hospital he would sit up he'd comb his hair he'd put on his cologne um you know but I saw it and I remember my he was my biggest champion in my career like I Mm. think he his childhood dream was to sing in Bollywood movies and And he had to take the more practical route of being a doctor. And when he saw me coming into entertainment, I think he was really excited about this being um, sort of his dream as well. And um, even though I didn't go into music initially, it was still like something, he he was always a performer, always on stage, whenever he did stage shows, he'd jump off stage and like, and he was that person. So when he was so invested in my career that um, the last year, I remember there was these awards there were the toy for awards times of india awards happening in canada and uh, my dad had to go for um treatment to rochester in the u.s anyway in new york mm-hmm. so i asked him if he would like to come to the awards as well because i was nominated that year for best actress and there was buzz around me winning and um you know, i wanted him to be with me and he was just so weak by then this is four months before he died Mm -hmm. um he was so weak by then he had all of his like you know bile sort of um, bags inside his shirt he wore a suit he put on a tie went in his uh, wheelchair to the award ceremony and of course I'd been around the industry for a while so everyone knew this was my dad so you know the film industry was really kind and so when the the award was announced and then one I looked at him and I was like I would love for you to come on stage with me. And he had this big smile and Mm -hmm. everyone helped him get up. And he was like, I'm going to walk on my own. People came to try and help him. And he was like, nope, I got it. And he's, you know, walked up the stage, his own man, and um, gave a speech. He was just, you know, championing me all over again. The last time he did it was just like, Mm -hmm. you have chosen a true artist and thank you. And I was like, always my cheerleader, my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. <laughs> oh. I imagine that must have,
0: um, just for, for a parent to see their child succeed like that, it must've been really, uh, soul completing for him. That would be, yeah. Sorry. I'm just thinking like whenever, you know, when I was like trying to figure out how to wrap up all my stuff, I, uh, I think everything I picked, I would have picked for, for my kid, you know? So I just, I think it's really, um, I think it's really beautiful that you guys shared that kind of uh, like a mountaintop. It must be nice to
1: be. That's a good mountaintop. Yeah. And it was one of the last ones that I choose to remember. um, I really believe that I came to an understanding of acceptance of grief because you have to sometimes just have to accept um, the cards that are dealt to you. And I accepted that my grief is never going to go away. It's going to be my companion. Mm -hmm. It's going to hang out with me. And it'll come out some days and stay for dinner. And some days maybe it won't even come. I want to remember the life lived, not the person gone. And what we do control is how we celebrate the memories.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. That's mm. so my friend, um, Nora McInerney says, she says, uh, you don't move on from grief. You carry it with you. And I, I always I always loved that because it, it made me feel like they're in grief you never get to be apart from it because it's a you know because it's the language of love and like you're never gonna not be in love with that person and that
1: relationship and yeah i miss it every day yeah and it's okay too but i think it's also important to understand that it's okay to not miss it some days and it's okay for it to Not be the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning and not feel guilty about not having that memory. Like I used to feel really mad at myself when I didn't dream about my dad or I didn't have thoughts. And I was like, why is he not like, why am I not thinking about it? But it was okay. Yeah.
0: When so much is taken from you, it can be really deeply satisfying to settle into what you know and what you can not just control, but like contribute you know what I mean? Like during a time when there's like a, a win in a time of endless loss. And it sounds too like simultaneously it was it was it was crushing for for a, a
1: season that spanned a few years. I'm used to running at a really fast pace because I have chosen doing multiple things at the same time. In everything, you know, and I love trying new things, you know, for the first time. And I've just been that person. So I couldn't suddenly stop that pace. But here I was mourning deeply, not just my father. I was mourning a relationship. I was also mourning moving to America and on a show for like 11 months a year where I didn't know anyone. And, you know, it was just 15 hour days, six days a week. And I was just dealing with all of it alone. And, I think that's when it all came crashing down on me. I, I, I was running as fast as I could because that's the only thing I knew how to do. So I, I didn't know how to stop that pace, but emotionally I was not being able to keep up. I didn't have time to deal with what I was feeling. I kept shoving it under the carpet and it just kept coming bigger and bigger. And eventually it was seductive enough to keep me there. You know, I was, yeah. I was in a place of just deep, sorrow and I couldn't explain it and I didn't want to be around anyone and I didn't want to talk to anybody and I just wanted to be in the comfort of me and what I knew and the sadness that felt familiar and that was a good two years of my life that I spent doing that yeah
0: yeah and just to creep back toward life again
1: and creep is a great word because people think that you're going to wake up one morning and you'll be like Okay, you now I'm not sad anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. The loss isn't devastating. Very gradual process. It's, it's almost like addiction in a way, you know? Every day is new day and every day is, the, is a big fight. And you have to really choose to want to be on the other side, to have to put in the work every day. Mm-hmm. And unlike addiction, slowly grief becomes sort of a part of you.
0: And it sounds to you like you found your own way to, to come back to life and, you know, and to have new, new, new beautiful beginnings. You have a wildly romantic love story of your own that has carried this, this next chapter of your life. I love that I am in a moment where I get to say, tell me about Nick. Tell me about, <laughs> this is questions I never thought as a historian, I would ever get to ask. So no, comma, Priyanka, tell me, tell me about Nick.
1: I had just recovered and healed from a part of my life that I was open to sunshine and happiness, and he stepped in exactly that time because I hadn't I'd known him for two years before that I'd been closed and shut you know so Mm -hmm. I think that's why the book pivots into such a joyful place is because I think I had spent a good amount of time dealing with what I was feeling you know um and I really did realize that It is not the lack or the loss of people or the gain of the joining of people that give you joy or sorrow. It is where you are within those shifting relationships that make you who you are. Yeah. When you say all that, I picture like an aperture,
0: you know, like it just opens up to, opens up to joy. And that's like, and that's a story about you. And it's a story about the person who gets to walk in. That's beautiful. Also, um, I, I'm i a huge fan of like doing things that are completely over the top, like things that are so wonderful and ridiculous that they are like completely for no reason. So, for example, I've done like a, a worldwide tour of the world's largest thing. So like if there was like a ball of twine, but it's enormous, like I must see it or just totally dumb things or like huge dumb parties or... Taste tests, you know, like now we must taste test ketchup, 200 of them. Like I'm very committed <laughs> to like things that are wonderfully <laughs> over the top for absolutely just because it brings joy. So when I discovered that you at your wedding had a musical dance off <laughs> with your family and his family, I was like, that's it. That's the only thing anyone should do from now on. You have lived a life of extravagant love. I'm into it.
1: But I have to say that from where I come from in my part of the world, that's very normal. It's called a sangeet. It's like basically a rehearsal dinner. Like you guys have a rehearsal dinner. We have a rehearsal dinner, but with singing and dancing. India is a very musical culture. Our rehearsal dinner is called the sangeet, but it has um, a musical sort of dance-off or a talent-off, if you say, between the two families to sort of show off who's better and You know, and it's actually, it goes back hundreds of years, this tradition, but it's actually a way of the families getting to know each other. Because again, we have such an extended family culture that this is a way of the families being like, all right, that's the aunt and that's the cousin. And that's, you get to know everyone's relationships without having to do a boring, like this is that person, you know, a marriage in the Indian context is usually between the families more than it even is the bride and the bridegroom. (laughs) Ours just was extravagant because that's who Nick and I are. We build a stage and all of it, but usually you can do it like in a ballroom or in a drawing room. But it was also, you know, we are those people. I'm, I'm, I've am I'm, never said that I'm subtle. I'm definitely not subtle. Subtlety <laughs> sounds boring. <laughs> yeah, and my train was 25 feet, so that's definitely not a trait of mine. <laughs> the Sangeet, usually, you know, like it's usually like, you know, people will do it in a... Hotel, banquet hall, you know, build like a one foot stage or even do like, you know, the family sitting and eating and everyone's performing on stage or whatever. It can maybe, you know, you can maybe have choreographers, you can get in music. Um, ours look like Coachella. <laughs> fun that is so fun <laughs> it was insane getting the family together to rehearse was the biggest stress of my life oh no and, uh, yeah that's crazy I don't know how Nick did it with his family because they did they brought up such an amazing show they danced to like Bollywood songs and Nick came out of a cake it was all the things yeah no <laughs>
0: I I love it. I love I love the like intense absurd jubilation that you that that happens when you just get to love that delightfully. That is so fun. And now maybe I, I want to jump out of a cake. I have never done that and now I feel like that.
1: <laughs> the only way to love is to love big and love fully. And you know? Sometimes it'll be for a lifetime. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes some people will be in your life for a little bit, your family, friends, and sometimes they won't, you know, but you'll still keep moving. And that's important. And you have to love in every way as big as you can. It's such a joy. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about the
0: loves that built your life, Priyanka. May we all be so determined to love so big that we
1: keep asking for more and more. This was such a joy. Thank you so much, Kate. This is such a lovely conversation. And you're such a boss. You really are.
0: We lose things every day. Jobs, our health, our certainties, people we love, people we were. Our grief reveals what mattered because grief is the language of love. Love can break our heart and love can help put the pieces back together once again. And love is so many things. We love our cities and our homes and our family across the country and our friends who have become family. We love our partners and our spouses and our kids and our grandkids. We love our neighbors, except the ones that live across the street and neighborhoods. Mine has a taco and whiskey truck. We love our careers, our ridiculous hobbies. We love who we've been and who we might yet be. These are the loves that make us who we are, the people and places and vocations that constitute us because we are not entirely self-made. We are a group project. So blessed are you, dear one. You who spend this day of love alone, by choice or by circumstance may you know deep in your bones that you are loved beyond measure you for whom this is the first valentine's without your person it wasn't supposed to be this way and our hearts break with yours sometimes love costs us everything you who believe that all your best love is behind you may you be surprised today By the way, love shows up in a snowflake or a song or a sip of your favorite tea. You who struggle to love, whose own heartbreak has made being known seem impossible. May you take a tiny risk toward intimacy today because you are so worth loving. Love is big and has room enough for us all. And thank God that we are a group project. I couldn't do this, all of this, without my friends and my family and the teachers I see over Zoom, bless you. Without spiritual communities and colleagues and the comfort of prayer. Without delicious meals and yummy candles and small delights. And without you, dear listener, sending you so much love today. before I go, it's almost the season of Lent. I know, I know, the big bummer of the church calendar, the 40 days leading up to Easter. But I like to think that Lent is the perfect season to tell the truth about the way things really are. Sometimes things really are incredibly awful, and it is hard to see anything but the pain and suffering that surrounds us. We need each other to orient ourselves to the light, to hunt for hope, to speak realistically, make our way through. As a Lenten practice for the Everything Happens community, I will be posting a video every morning on Instagram, as well as sending out daily email reflections to help orient our day. Because we are in this together, this whole being human thing. I hope you'll join me. Visit katebowler.com slash Lent to sign up for free. Now, here's the part where I get to tell you that this episode was a group project like all of the best things in life. Today's episode was made possible by our lovely partners, the Lily Endowment, the Duke Endowment, and Duke Divinity School, who support our Faith in Media project. We are so grateful for their generosity and investment in what we do. And of course, my team, Jessica Ritchie, our executive producer, Harriet Putman, our associate producer, Keith Weston, our sound designer, and the rest of the Everything Happens crew who make this project so fun. Dan Wells, A.J. Walton, Mary Jo Clancy, J.J. Dickinson, Lana Stewart, Kelly Dunlap, Aaron Lane, Jeb and Sammy. Thank you. This is Everything Happens with me, Kate Bowler.